What's up with it, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to yet another edition of Open Run, presented by War Media. I'm your host, Gabriel Wilkins, joined by my man, who really needs no introduction, Bulls Insider with the Bigs, and the man that you've seen me beside on countless shows and such these last couple of years on War Media, my co-host, Josh Hicks. What's to it, bro? You tell me, man. I'm on your time. <laughs> hey, man, I'm always feeling good. Anytime I get a chance to talk about the stuff that I love in the game itself, you know, that's, that's a blessing in itself. You know, it's a new week, new opportunity. Hey, hey I, can't, I can't complain. Likewise, my brother. For sure. In this week's installment of Open Run, as we are currently entering the week 16 of the NBA calendar as of this recording, me and Josh will share our own thoughts on how we feel about the recent rumors to come out of the Bay over the last week surrounding one of the game's premier front office executives, in addition to a Hall of Fame player's recent remarks regarding a hot topic across basketball over the past several years that has returned to the forefront of hoop discussions yet once again and more. However, before we get into the following matters, Let's show appreciation to a few players who over the last week constructed several stellar outings en route to making some history along the way in our Hoops shout-out segment. Special salutes go out to Memphis Grizzlies guard John Morant, who became the first player in the history of the franchise to record a game with 25-plus points, 10-plus rebounds, and 15-plus assists by dropping 27 points, 15 assists, to go along with 10 rebounds to help his team take down Indiana in a 12-point victory this past weekend, as well as snap a five-game losing skid, as well as Trey Young of the Atlanta Hawks for recording the 59th game of his career with at least 30-plus points and 10-plus assists to surpass all-time Laker legend Magic Johnson for seven most in NBA history up against the Los Angeles Clippers in addition to Lakers all-star forward LeBron James for becoming the first player ever in league history to score at least 40 or more points against all 30 teams last week after dropping 46 points in last week's tilt against the rival Clippers for the Battle of Tinseltown, all the while becoming the first ever to record 130-point games with three different franchises as the soon-to-be all-time leading scorer continues to further etch his name into the history books at the age of 38. And last but not least, Blazers guard Damian Lillard for notching the fourth 60-point game in his career to date by pouring in that exact amount on just 29 shots to guide Portland to a 10-point win against the Utah Jazz in the middle of, in the middle part of last week. So with all that said, Josh, which marquee storylines across the world of basketball or players and teams over the last week have stood out to you the most since the previous time we linked up to talk some hoops? Um, I'll do two of them. One is, of course, you already mentioned it, Damian Lillard, 60-point piece. You know, he gave you 60 nuggets. How many do you want? And the way he did it, was so effortlessly. I think he had 50 points through three quarters. So he, he could have took that to another level and got him a 70 piece if he really wanted to push it. But 
Damian Lillard has always been someone in the league who gets respect, but not maybe not as much as he should, just because he's chosen to stay in one city and try to make it work in that one city long term for the rest of his career. That loyalty factor plays a role in, in the makeup of who Damian Lillard really is. And in a league where you have so much transition, so many players moving teams uh, consistently year after year, for him to be a superstar and say, I want to play in, in the small market that drafted me for the rest of my career, you know, and try to make a championship w- a winner here, that's that goes that, that that doesn't go unnoticed in a league where that's not normal anymore. So for him to do that and continue to ball the way that he's balling over there, Portland has a pretty nice, they have a pretty nice competitive squad down there with Chauncey Bullops in them. And Damian Lillard has, is continuing to show his leadership through his play on and off the court. And this is one of those instances where Damian Lillard needs more, he deserves more flowers than what he normally gets. Um, but if no one else is going to do it, we'll do it for him. So I got to give a shout out to Damian Lillard and how he's been playing uh, and leading this Portland Trailblazers team. What's the other storyline for me? And I'm sure you are aware of what, well aware of all this uh, this past weekend. It's the refs. I get the refs. I, 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 it, it was an interesting to watch the final minutes of that game. LeBron James goes for his layup. Clearly gets fouled. Not going to lie. Clearly gets fouled. Refs are like, eh. And, and, you know, I think what got me was the fact that they didn't even wait to really the end of the game. I don't know if you saw reports of how people from oh, the I, I followed it. Yeah, they were calling the they were calling the, uh, the the Lakers in the middle of the game and saying, "Yeah, we kind of missed that one, but don't let it be out public just yet." Like <laughs> we missed that one, but don't let it be public just yet. And you know, it does create this uh, this this ongoing discussion of referees putting too much of the games into their hands, and a part in that discussion of whether or not we should really blame the refs for being such bad game callers at times, which is at times valid. But at the same time, from a player's perspective, and as someone has played the game, coaches will always tell you, you know, you should never have to put yourself in a position to let the referees decide the game. That's true. You should be able to play so well that you don't have to worry about the refs. You handle your business. And that is a, that is a, a reality in the NBA nowadays that at times gets forgotten. Like players are to play to win the game. The refs are just to manage the game, make sure it doesn't go out of hand. They don't, then even though refs nowadays have issues when it comes to inserting themselves in the games and making the games more about them, that's still a very valid discussion. And, 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 and honestly, true in a lot of senses. It, it should not be the overall end all to rely on the refs to get you the wins that you need to be winning and to get the outcomes of games you want. And that's just something that really stood out to me um, when it came to paying attention to that storyline and not really hearing that point of, at the end of the day, as players and and teams trying to win games, you should not have to put yourself in that type of position to rely on the refs to get the game for you. You should be able to go get it yourself. And that's a lost point that, quite frankly, needs to be pointed out more than previous uh, instances and, quite frankly, recent reports and talk shows that we've, you know, that's been taking place throughout the week. 
you know, you you bring up a great point when you talk about how you can't expect for referees to bail you out. And you're right. As somebody who's formerly played basketball myself, even in a lower level, I've always heard that from coaches. Look, leave no doubt. Mm-hmm. Make sure when you're playing the game that you're playing it at a high level each and every time you get a chance to because you can't always expect to get those calls, especially in that situation with the game imbalance and in clutch minutes Mm -hmm. where there were less than 10 seconds on the clock. Usually, unless you're able to finish off a play like that, you're not going to get it. There have been many times I've been in games, close games, might I add, across the NBA in many arenas, and I've seen guys get fouled, and it does not get called. And I always point back to what you were saying in regards to that when you say you can't expect them to bail you out. And with the NBA doing this last two-minute report in which they released to the public the day after the game, you're going to see blunders left and right. Saw it firsthand with Donovan Mitchell, who in spite of him having a 71-point performance against the Bulls earlier this month, he committed a lane violation to get the rebound and, and, and put the shot up in the lane to force the overtime in which he added to his point total. He would have never gotten 71 points if the referees made the correct call in that predicament. Yet here we are. But I can understand LeBron's gripe with him. I can mm-hmm. in that situation. Adrenaline's hot in, in a must-win game a game that you know that you need, it, 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 that stings. Especially when you consider the way that Patrick Beverly got up and turned back the clock looking like he was in Marshall High School. That was, crazy, that was some crazy <laughs> shit right there. I ain't seen that in a minute. But first off, I, I, one thing that, that stood out to me is LeBron James Jr. and DJ Wagner getting selected mm. to play besides one another and along their high school peers around the country this year in the McDonald's All-American game set to take place later on in March down in Houston. And the reason why that stood out to me is is because who would have ever thought if you were in Dewan Wagner's camp or LeBron James's camp that two guys who were former teammates and started their careers besides one another would manage to see their children not only follow in their footsteps, but join them as all Americans. I think that's pretty cool, especially when you consider DJ, whose grandfather was also an all American and Milk Wagner. And they're the first family to ever have three generations of McDonald all Americans. And I know a lot of people have tried to make arguments regarding how nepotism may have played a role in this. And while I could gather the reason as to why some fans may say that, if they haven't watched them play, to me, they've earned it. Especially when you take out the time to watch DJ play, who actually played in Chicago a couple of weeks ago and against Kenwood and held his own. He's a very well-polished guard who knows how to control the floor of a game. And he can score within the mid-range area drive to the rack off of the dribble and then you you also consider 
LeBron Jr.'s game. Bronny doing what he do all around is a is a team first player, unselfish, can can initiate the offense. And oh, by the way, he actually plays some top-notch defense as well. And I, I just think that that's a that's real cool, man. And my friend Torrin Stagger, who listens to our show, I gotta give him kudos. He brought this up to me last weekend when we were talking in the middle of games. He said, man, if you really think about it, the Wagner family could be the basketball what the Mayweather family has been to boxing in the sense that you have three generations in Milt and Dewan and potentially DJ that not only are all McDonald's all Americans, but they all can say at some point that depending on how DJ's career goes, and we hope that it goes well for him, that they all went to the league. Mm-hmm. And, and to me, that's that's really cool, man. That, that's cool. And, and to see, like I said, Bronny following in LeBron's footsteps and to make it to the All-American game 20 years after his father did it. I think that's real cool, man. It, it just goes to show you how everything comes full circle in life. And you never really realize it until it, it, it happens. But I'm pretty sure... Dewan Wagner and LeBron gonna have to have a conversation at some point. Like, damn, do we could we have really ever imagined this? And I think it's cool when you consider the way, like I said, that Dewan Wagner's career played out in Cleveland. Because I always thought when LeBron went to Cleveland, that was gonna be the one-two duo for the next ten years. But mm-hmm. unfortunately, you know, all sorts of colitis had other plans, and it and it derailed a lot for for Dewan. But he's bounced back from that, and he's poured in the resources that he has into his son and watch them blossom. I, I think that's real cool. But as far as NBA players, the guy that's really impressed me the most is heat forward. Bam out of bio. This is a guy we have been talking about, man. And we know that he's arguably the most versatile defender in the game. And most people across the country may not care to acknowledge him as such. But if you ask his peers, they'll tell you the man can guard one through five and the film shows it. One thing that I really like about what I'm seeing from Adebayo is, is he's putting it all together. He's become that guy where he's getting 20 and 10 consistently, night in and night out. And I was reading an article about a couple of weeks back where Cal Lowry was talking with Bam, or said to be talking with Bam in the middle of Miami struggles. And he was telling him like, hey, we need you. We need you to be aggressive. We need you to be that force inside and utilize your face-up game and make a defender pay when you have a matchup in isolation. He's done that. And on top of that, he's running the floor well. He's calling for the ball too, something that I haven't seen him do in his NBA career until really this season way more putting his hands up for guys like Gabe Vincent to find them inside for the layup or dunk. He's attacking the defense much quicker as opposed to being indecisive. It was so many times where he's indecisive in the playoffs and he have a matchup. He's like, I don't know if I want to attack it or not. Now he's getting into it. The, the, the elbow area is pretty much like his best friend. And when he gets the ball, even on isolated sets, he's making things happen. And the the two-man game that he has going on right now with Tyler Hero in the pick-and-roll game, 
it, it, it's, it's working wonders, man. Like I, I saw a, a clip of him when he was playing against the Celtics where he took an open jumper off the short row near the free throw line in the painted area. And that's really become his bread and butter. We already know how athletic he is in the, the nightmares that he can cause for guys trying to come inside the lane, protecting the rim and such, as well as coming up on a pick and roll switch, moving his feet. But he's playing with so much confidence right now, and you put all that together with his elite-level defense. I don't know how scouts can put together a game plan to stop him. And Miami's needed him to be that guy, and he has. They have a 9-5 and record as of this recording in the month of January. And I don't think they even win without him against the Celtics last week when he dropped 30 and 15 on him and there was no Jimmy Butler in sight. He took over in the fourth quarter at both ends of the floor. And he's a guy that I think is really trying to punch his ticket into the all-star game. And he's not hiding. And for a guy that was questioned by a lot of people as to whether he was deserving of a max deal or not, a couple years ago when he signed it fresh off Miami getting to the finals in a bubble, he's proven that he is. And you got to give him his respect, man, and it's just due. I, I think he's really making a strong case for all-star candidacy down in South Beach. And then, last but not least, Joel Embiid. <laughs> you know, Josh, man, I, I'm I'm going to tell you something, man. I, I speak for guys who are the voiceless. Guys that don't want to get too like finicky with media figures talking about what well, I deserve this, I deserve that, and rightfully so, because if they come off like that, people will say, Well, oh, what you got to gripe for? What you what you doing this for? You know, you need to be working on this, you need to be working on that. Joel and B, man, he just handling business. Highest usage rate in the league, leading the league in scoring has put up 30-plus or more in eight out of his last nine outings since the turn of the new year. And to do what he did against one of the top centers in the league, if not arguably 1A, 1B beside him, man, I, it, it, it's, it's, it's special to watch. And when you, when you put it into full context, you think about this man's career. You think about how he didn't pick up the game until he was 15 years old, how he went to Kansas and despite dealing with injuries was the number three overall pick in the draft. And as soon as he gets into the league, still is going through injuries with his foot that requires surgeries. And as a result, had to miss his first two seasons. Well, I tell you what, he's proven to be worth the wait and some. And he's really a throwback player and the way that he was able to attack the defenses, the way that he was able to get into his, his, his actions real quick in the paint beyond the art. Impressive performance, man, impressive performance. And a guy who, in my opinion, not just after watching that game, but after watching him over the last month, I don't know how he's not the MVP of the league right now. I, I, I know I've been saying Jason Tatum is my pick, but after watching him over this last month and watching the way that he's helped to elevate Philly atop of the Eastern Conference, 
I don't know how he's not the MVP right now. I just don't. I understand that he got snubbed for for one of the five spots as an all-star starter. And someone had to. Someone had to. Especially when you consider that it's only three guys that you could pick in the front court. But if it was the traditional way, like fans used to vote back in the day, and you had the center, it would have been Joel Embiid. Mm-hmm. But I, I I just feel like you, we got to give Miss Flowers, man. Like 50 Cent once said in one of his songs, many men, I'm the underground king that ain't been crowned. Mm-hmm. Joel Embiid has not been crowned. He hasn't gotten the flowers and appreciation that he deserves. And he's doing things on the block that I have not seen since Shaq. And to me, he's been the most dominant big man in the league since Shaq. No disrespect to Dwight Howard and others that came before him. But when it comes to all-around skill set and what he's doing right now, you, you have to pay attention. And I'm tired of people saying, well, he's the most talented player, but Jokic is the most valuable player. Let's not do any cold talking. Let's not do that. And some people may say, well, Gabriel, you're promoting an agenda. If I am, I'm only promoting an agenda because I've seen people do it. And like I said, I'm going to speak for the guys that have no voice or the guys that deserve for someone to speak on their behalf. And I feel like as people that are purveyors of the game, such as me and Josh are, that sometimes we have to do that in an effort for you to make sure that you see them and that you acknowledge their greatness while they're playing in front of your presence in lifetime. Ooh, boy. You talking about some heat. <laughs> you came out like Michael Jordan. I took that personally. <laughs> I mean, you, 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 you have to, man. I mean, I, I expected agree. for Joel Embiid to, to, to go off. Only, only gripe I got with is that he had six turnovers that he missed his first few free throws because he really should have had 50. Mm-hmm. He, he had the opportunity. He yeah. did. But for him to play through injury, which I know he's been battling through, and in an era where you have a lot of fans that want to talk about how players are soft and all this other type of stuff, and then you talk about how you want players to be honest with you. But, yeah, here's a player who plays with an FU mentality, doesn't care to talk tra- – uh, 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 doesn't care if someone talks trash to him. He's going to talk trash right back at him. Like – I don't know how you don't appreciate that. It's funny how we talk about the things that we wish a player would do, but yet when we see a player in the walking flesh amongst us doing it, we don't know how to accept it. You, you, you're you not lying. And I think there's a common theme to the players you've mentioned throughout your soliloquy. You've talked about Bam Adebayo. you talked about Joel Embiid. Each one of those players have heard the talks. You can tell they've heard the, tra- the, ch- the the chatter. They've heard the trash. They've heard the disputes, especially when you talk about for Joel Embiid. Oh, jo- like you said, Joker's number one in the league. He said, nah, 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 bro. I'm number one in the league when it comes to the center game. Let me show you why and went to work on Jokic. But Bam Adebayo, let's not forget, he also felt he like he got snuffed for defensive player of the year, and he's not in that conversation right now. He heard that too. So he's talking about the all-around game that you mentioned that he's bringing right now. That's just on the offensive end. We can't even stop t- talking about the defensive end that's really kept Miami afloat right now. 
Yeah. Like that's that, that's the big deal too, of him being the anchor of that defense. He's, he's also sending a message saying, yeah, I should be also considered defensive player of the year. And if not, I should be winning that award right now because the way he's playing with that uh, defensively for that team, Miami really will be sinking if he wasn't, if he wasn't anchoring in that, in that back, in that front court and holding it down in the paint. So I think they both, you know, they, they, they heard the chit chatter. They heard the talks. They heard the discrepancies that people have put against them. And they're like, oh yeah, y'all, y'all feel this way. All right, watch me now. And they, and they went to work. They took 2023 new year, new me real serious and took that to the next level into the having discussion, discussion that we're having today at the end of month one of the year of the new year, man. It's very, it's been very special to see and witness, but most definitely you're right. We need to give those guys their flowers and the credit they deserve because clearly they're going unnoticed in ways that quite frankly, they don't deserve. I agree. And when you consider the fact that Joel Embiid is in the middle of a three-year run where every year he's upped his averages and points per game, he's been among the league leaders in rebounding and he's shooting over 50% from the floor. He's shooting over 40% from beyond the arc in the month of January alone. You, you got to think about this, man. Like, this dude has never made it to an all-NBA first team in his career. But he's in the middle of a dominant three-year run just as much as Jokic is. And it's getting to a point where, like Isaiah Thomas was talking about in his NBA TV segment, when he wants to dominate on the block and you don't have an opposing center with the girth or the frame, let alone the size in some aspects to guard him, you got to make a decision. Are we going to double him or are we going to play him one-on-one? If you play him one-on-one and you saw him being played one-on-one, most of the time I would say against Denver, they would kind of sneak a helper man onto him. But when he was playing against Jokic one-on-one, he put up numbers, mm-hmm. numbers, Shaq-like numbers, Kareem-like numbers. And in an era where pace and space has been more heavily predicated than ever before, he's taking the game back to the old school roots and destination. And then when you add all of this into what we talked about last week, where you had his childhood idol, the guy who he spent countless hours studying and trying to master his moves and whatnot, saying that Nikola Jokic is the one. Yeah. Yeah. And and, and he knows that he's been disrespected and he won't say anything about it. And I commend him for that because I made up of the same mode if I felt that way. But... It's people like me that'll speak for people like that. And I know a little bit about that because I've covered guys who have went through the same thing. His teammate is one of them, James Harden. Mm-hmm. And to see James jump on his back the other day after he hit that step back three, I was like, you know, that it's a good thing he has a guy like that in his corner who's been through what he's been through or what Joel is going through right now. So I, I, I love it. I love it, and I, I think after what he did this past weekend, 
yeah, fans and, and, and media alike, they don't have a they don't have no choice but to acknowledge it. But I, I like to move on from that to briefly get your overall thoughts on the latest major storyline to make title waves across free agency in the WNBA. We know John Quayle Jones going to the New York Liberty in a three-team blockbuster trade was a move that caught many by surprise. However, Candace Parker recently revealed that she is on the way to taking her talents to, ten, to Sin City to team up with a trio of all-stars in Asia Wilson, Kelsey Plum, and Chelsea Gray on the defending champion Las Vegas Aces as the free agent who led the Chicago Sky to a championship just two seasons ago, has departed from the area where her career all started to return to the West Coast in pursuit of her third championship. Josh, what's your thoughts on the seven-time All-Stars decision to join forces with an Aces squad that is looking to capture back-to-back championships under head coach and former WNBA great Becky Hammond? Two two points. One, it was fun while it lasted because, you know, for her, Candace to even come home, consider coming home on top of that at after playing 13 years in L.A. First of all, I don't know why she would do that considering the, the winners here are so brutal. That's just number <laughs> one. But two, to take on the challenge, I'm from home. Even though I may not be from Chicago, I'm from the West suburbs, Chicago's still home. And for me to come home, I want to bring a championship to Chicago, something that no one has ever done. And quite frankly, it's a very hard thing to do as D Rose, right? So it's very hard for you to be a hometown kid, come back home and be the face of that team and bring in a championship. That's what Candace Parker did. And for her to do it the way and the fashion that they did it was incredible. Um, her run here in Chicago will never be forgotten. It'll be all over uh, the bill, all over the billboards and the stadiums and the posters and everything. When you think of Chicago Sky, you will think Candace Parker and what impact she brought to the team, not just the team itself, but the city as a whole. She helped revive in a lot of ways dying basketball in the city and that's something that's very special while also boosting the WNBA especially business-wise that was something that quite frankly was long overdue and I'm glad that she was able to do that so we can't be mad at her for leaving but it also shows my second point it shows where her mind is I was at the last press conference at the Chicago Sky when they lost to the Sun um, mm. and there was already question marks about whether or not Candace Park was going to retire. Me personally, I thought she was. I thought she was going to retire from the way she was speaking at that press conference. And just look at her, you can tell she looked tired. She looked like she didn't have it. And I thought, okay, this really might be the end of the road for them. It's time for the sky to move forward. But what her mindset is now, when she even chose to come back, I was thinking, if she was coming back to the sky, it'll be a lot more difficult because there's no guarantee you're going to have Sloop to come back. And I thought Ali quickly was going to retire. So, and from what I heard, those rumors are still true. I heard Sloop not coming back. Yeah. I heard that Ali quickly is most likely going to retire. 
I've heard that too. I've heard that about Sloop because there's been a lot of recent rumblings across the WNBA that Courtney Vandersloot is seeking to try and join forces with Brianna Stewart mm-hmm. and that they're a package deal no matter where they end up pretty much. It's been reported that Brianna Stewart has been in discussions with the New York Liberty. It's also yep. been reported that Courtney Vandersloot has had discussions with the New York Liberty. And it, that would be a major change because you're talking about someone in Vandersloot who has been with the Chicago Sky for well over a decade. And you lose her. Not only are you lo- losing one of your top facilitators, but arguably the most decorated faci- facilitator in the WNBA as she's led the league and assists for several seasons in her great career. Oh yeah, most definitely. And I'll even take it further and give in this regard. She is from Washington area. She's from the state of Washington. Seattle has always been a team of hers that I've heard linked to her just because that's home. She went to Gonzaga. Yep. So, she, so there is a home demographic that plays a role in this too. So if Brianna Stewart were to stay, I can see her saying, yeah, I'm going to go to Seattle because that's back where home is. Um, but at the end of the day, the Chicago Sky don't have, they're not going to have that main core, it looks like. And because that main core is not going to be there, yes, you have Kalia Copper that's going to be there. And there was a gr- they have a great relationship with, between her and Candace Parker. But outside of that, who else do you really have? And there's not even, and there's not even a guarantee that Emma Mieseman's coming back. I've heard she might, she's most likely not going to come back. So hearing those things and knowing those things, her coming back to Chicago, even if she wants to go for another title, which clearly in her mindset right now is that's how she wants to go. There's no guarantee you're even going to have a chance really to do it in Chicago because you don't know who they're going to get to replace those stars that's going to be gone. At least with the team that she's choosing in the Aces, she obviously Candace Perkins gave a whole, a whole uh, I guess, large synopsis, you can call it, on her Instagram explaining the reasons behind it with family and, and, and everything like that. It makes sense because um, her second home is L.A. But L.A. ain't winning anything right now. I think she wants another ring. She wants to go back. She wants to end this thing as a three-time champion. And the what best way to do it than team up with a loaded roster that has Kelsey Plum, Chelsea Gray, the MVP and defensive player of the year in Asia Wilson. And need to mind you, Chelsea Gray, Kelsey Plum, and Asia Wilson are Olympic champions this past that, that won that Olympic gold this over this past uh, year or two. So they know how to win. And you got Becky Hammond. Come on now. That's a living legend on your sideline that knows what it takes to win. So I you can't blame her for, t- for going after that opportunity to say, you know what? I want to win another ring. Why not team up with the team that already won it before and knows how to do it and has the resources to get it done? He's, she, she, if anything, she's going after the Mark Davis or Mark Davis memo for real. Win, baby, win. And she wants to win. So if anything, this really can be the Golden State Warriors of the WNBA. If, 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 they really, if things play out the way that it can, that really could be the Golden State Warriors of the WNBA with Kevin Durant, Steph, Clay, and those guys all coming together. But 
you mentioned the New York Liberty. If Brees, if Brianna Stewart goes to New York, if Sloop goes to New York, you might have a Golden State Warriors versus a 2011 Miami Heat. Like that's that's what we're looking at when you talk about how dynamic these both of these teams are going to be in all positions of the floor. That's a crazy thing to look at, and that's automatically going to be the write-in. I think when you talk about a potential WNBA finals, that's a given. But best believe I will be, I will do my best to be in the building for when Candace Parker does come home, when the Aces play the Chicago Sky, because you know that's going to be a storyline that has to be exploited. And I cannot wait to see how the Chicago will receive her, because I know it's going to be, it's going to be a huge shebang when you talk about a hometown kid coming home and celebrating the legacy she helped create here in Chicago with it, which is a championship. Yeah. And I'm pretty sure it's going to be a sellout crowd at Wintrust arena for it as well. I, I, I can't knock it. I can't knock it. All I can say about it is um, just thank you. Thank you for, for, mm-hmm. for putting Chicago basketball back into the forefront of the country. I understand that it was a WNBA championship, but when you consider the fact that she returned home and managed to help guide the sky to a WNBA championship, it's first ever in franchise history, might I add, just two years ago. That was that was special to see. That was very special to see, especially in a city that had not seen a basketball championship in 23 years at that point, if you include the NBA and the WNBA. Mm-hmm. And to see the fanfare that it bought in a basketball town, might I add, as we know, Josh, it, it is a basketball town. That that was dope. That, that, that was real dope and that was cool. It, it, it caught my eye from the moment in which she actually decided to come to the sky mm-hmm. because I never, ever envision that even though that was something that you kind of think about sometimes mm-hmm. but you know you have to build it up right in order for a star to come here and sure. i give kudos and credit to james wade for doing that and to players on the roster at the time such as courtney vandersloop ali quigley a depaul legend you know yep. right and, and three-point shootout legend in the WNBA. For, for making it a, a destination that was welcoming and for them to do it in their first year, in spite of all of the struggles that, that made it even more, you know, fun to watch. And it got to a point here in the city where they were going on their playoff run. You felt compelled to watch them every single night. And she brought a buzz to this franchise that I think was definitely missing and, a, a buzz that I hadn't seen since the mid 2010s era when you had the MVP and Elena Deladon here, mm-hmm. you know, with Pokey Chapman and Sylvia Fowles, but that team fell short, right. but to see them actually get over the hump, I, I thought that was pretty cool. I mean, you, you hit the nail on the head to me when I look at Las Vegas on paper. Yeah. I don't see how this isn't the WNBA's version of Golden State. I don't. I I I see it. 
And Mark Davis, I have to give him kudos as an owner. He's put his money into this franchise. I believe I was reading that they have a new training facility that's mm-hmm. set to open soon. So I can understand why that would be enticing to Candace Parker, where you consider the fact that even though the sky have become a hallmark organization, sort of speak somewhat in the WNBA realms, it's a difference between going from Chicago to Deerfield for practice versus mm-hmm. when, you know, you got a nice facility, you know, it's not in a park or whatever. And, and we know that the WNBA still has some work that needs to be done in regards to making things, you know, amendable for their athletes. But I, I, I just, I just can't knock it. I, I can't knock it at all. I can understand wanting to be closer to your family. Her career did start on the West Coast, as you mentioned, with L.A., where for 13 years with the Sparks, she helped got that franchise, won a, a WNBA championship there as well. I, I wish her the best. And I think that, yeah, like if, if Vandersloot and Stewart do team up in New York, you, you got a little Warriors-Cavs thing going on. It's definitely going to be a, a matchup that is must-see television if you're a big-time WNBA fan over the course of this summer to watch every single time. But even if she stays in Seattle, that, that's going to be a, a hell of a matchup. Is One thing about the WNBA, you know, they don't have no conference. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you, you could see a Storm Aces finals. So you, you never know. But, man, that, that's, that's a loaded roster. And I didn't even mention Jackie Young, man. So right. they, got a, they got a hell of a starting five. <laughs> you you that, that's gonna be tough to beat and, and Becky Hammond, yeah. You you could say she is to Las Vegas what Steve Kerr is to Golden State. I mean, she won in her first year, similar mm-hmm. to how Steve Kerr won in his first year with, with the Warriors, took over a team that was trying to get over the hump, right? In a fashion similar to how Kerr did in Golden State. Yeah, if they 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 can they can they can parlay this into something very very special, and I use that word deliberately because you know you talk about a city that's known as the capital of gambling, so they 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 got a little fun thing going over there, and it's hard not to notice it. It's definitely hard not to notice it, but I, I do believe it'll definitely be a big time day when Candace does return to Chicago, and she definitely deserves a standing ovation. Because she did something that, when you really think about it, you never know if it may come again. Although, I will say, in spite of that, I think James Wade will have a plan. It may not be the plan that people that are diehard Sky fans want to hear. And I know it may have shocked some Sky fans that she did end up leaving. But, hey, you always have to be prepared for that. This, this is a business at the end of the day, and, and a lot of fans need to know that and understand that. Most definitely. Uh, and you talk about a good day. It's going to be a good day in Chicago when she does come home to play the sky on their court, which I'm pretty sure the WNBA will make sure it happens. But at the same time, a really good day for me is me going to Vegas, watching the Aces play while I'm on the strip. That's, <laughs> that's, not, that's a good day for me. So best believe I can get down there. In the summertime, while they're playing at the at the arena, I think they're playing at the Thomas and Mack Center. I want to say that's the case. I don't know if that's the case, but whatever arena they're playing at in Vegas, knowing that after that game, <laughs> it's fun and that's fun on the rest of the strip. Oh yeah, best believe 
go catch me in Vegas if I can get out there. That's on the to-do list. So um, I'm definitely going to try and catch that Aces, catch the Aces play, and uh, and after this, have enjoy myself for the rest of my evening on the strip. On the strip, you know that's that's <laughs> got to happen. So <laughs> that's going to be a great day for me. Man, I, I'm looking at where they play. He got Mark Davis got them playing at the Mandalay Bay Resort and Casino. They got their own arena inside the casino, man. So I see why they get a lot of big time crowds. I see why it's become a hot spot destination to go to games, especially during NBA Summer League, where yeah. you see a lot of athletes around the league sitting at courtside row at those games. It, I mean, to me, they look like the WNBA's version of the Lakers. So yeah. I, I, I got, I got to give them, I got to give them their respect. Yeah. I got to give them their respect for what they've been able to build. They were already doing that from the moment they moved to Vegas after leaving San Antonio. Mm-hmm. But to see them finally get that championship prestige, and they sure as hell gonna have it now with the talent pool that they have on this roster, combined with who their head coach is. Yeah, that, that, that shall be interesting. But I, I want to segue away from the latest news surrounding Candace Parker and WNBA free agency back into NBA-related affairs where the starters to represent the Eastern and Western Conference were unveiled last week on TNT. Giannis Antetokounmpo and LeBron James, the leading vote-getters on the East and West side, respectively, will serve as the official team captains as James is set to go about starring in the All-Star Game for the 19th time, tying the man he is set to surpass on the NBA's all-time scoring list in Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, soon for the most selections ever in league history. Kevin Durant, Jason Tatum, and Kyrie Irving were also selected as starters beside Antetokounmpo in the East, beside Donovan Mitchell, who will be making his fourth consecutive All-Star appearance and first as a starter. Nikola Jokic, Stephen Curry, Luka Doncic were selected as starters next to James in the West, while Zion Williamson was able to earn the third and final front court spot over Lakers center Anthony Davis in the tightest race among players for votes as a result of finishing four spots above them in player voting, in addition to two spots ahead of the eight-time All-Star in the final tally among media voting, despite Davis holding a 90,000-vote edge among the fans over Williamson in the final fan returns as the number one pick from the 2019 NBA draft will earn his second All-Star nod in the last three years, and his first ever as a starter. I can't say I'm too shocked by the all-star selections. I was surprised that Zion made it, though. I really was, but not the not in the manner that he did. But I, I, I kind of I was shocked because I had some doubt for a minute. I really did. And I felt like you could have made a case for either or, even though both have been dealing with injuries and Anthony Davis just recently returned. I don't I don't mind the selections. It's unfortunate, as I said earlier, that Embiid didn't get selected as a starter in the Eastern Conference front court. But my question to people who are hell bent on making an argument for him, and I get it, is who are you bumping off? 
who are you bumping off? Like, I heard some people try to make an argument that KD should have been bumped off. I can't do that. <laughs> I can't do that, especially when prior to his injury, Brooklyn was second in the East. I can't do that. I've heard people try to make an argument that Jason Tatum should have been bumped off. I kind of get that as well, but I still couldn't do that just from the standpoint of the fact that in spite of everything, he's led his team to the best record in the NBA. They currently sit first overall in the East, and he's shown strides of improvement as a player, and and he's just as deserving of an all-star honor as Joel Embiid. Unfortunately, someone had to get knocked off. Now, when it comes to all NBA selections, I could get the gripe, such as last year when he didn't make first team and you had Jason Tatum make first team over Embiid in that area because that, then you're starting to affect money. But at the end of the day, we all know Joel Embiid is going to be in that all-star game. So I don't think we really got worried about that. But what, what's your thoughts on the all-star starters and in, in the list of names that you see representing the East and the West, respectively. Zion Williamson is making me very proud right now. Because you know I've been on the Zion, Zion Williamson uh, train since the beginning of the season. Yeah, I know that was your preseason pick to win MVP. Yes, sir. So the fact that he's in the starting lineup, which I agree with everything you said. Embiid had a great case to, to be the starter. Anthony Davis has a great case to be the starter. But... You know, like you said, who are you going to bump off on either one? All these players that I mentioned are well worthy of the, of the of the spot. And I think Zion Williamson really took it over because I want to say he played more games. Don't know for sure if that's the case, but I think he played more games than Anthony I looked that up. Um, if that is, and if that's the case, then hey, so be it. But um, not to mention, too, with Zion, he's one of the main contributors to why the Pelicans are top five in the Western Conference, something that no one in the league saw coming compared to the Lakers where they're struggling to get by. And that's with Anthony Davis when he is healthy. So um, I think, like you said, an all-star game, just like any other award for the most part, nine out of 10, there's a percentage of winning that does matter when it comes to selecting people for these positions. And Zion Williamson, on the, with, you know, with the fact that, you know, he is a, he is a box office attraction and he fits the all-star game demographic. And, at the same time, his team is actually winning. He he deserved that slot. Yeah, he sh- he, sh- he should have been ridden in for that. So, um, I want I saw I saw that though. Yeah, they got it right. I think they got it right. Um, and it's gonna be a very entertaining uh all star uh, all star game when you talk about really who's gonna be uh who we're gonna be watching consistently because as long as Kevin Durant comes back healthy and can play. That's gonna be that's gonna be great to see. You know, Kyrie Irving's gonna be box office. I love Kyrie's been killing since KD's been gone. Really, really giving you know, really uh, shining and showing you why he is the player that he is. Uh, Donovan Mitchell. What can I say about Donovan Mitchell, man? The dude's been balling all season long and really carrying this Cleveland team with Darius Garland being out for for a significant time. Uh, we already know about Giannis. We already know about Jason Tatum. We know about Steph Curry. We, Luca, what more can you say? The dude's having another crazy MVP caliber year. Um, LeBron is LeBron. That's the king. So, you know, the king is going to be at his court. Um, Jokic, 
is Jokic. He's, he's always been known for, uh, for putting up big numbers and playing big throughout the season. That's what he's doing right now, MVP caliber player. And Zion Williamson, for the most part, is doing the same, but he's box office. And having those demographics all mixed together into one setting to represent one five versus the other five, honestly, I don't know how you can get much better than this. It's going to be kind of hard to, t- to top this off. Um, even with other players, when you plug in like a Joel Embiid, or um or an Anthony Davis, no matter what, you pretty much got a pretty solid five either way. So, and knowing that they're going to be in the All Star game most likely, that's that's a, it's a good feeling. So they got it right this time. I'm, I'm not going to trip too much on the fans this go around. I'm not going to trip too much on this go around. But they got it right. They they got it right. There's no complaints on my end. Well, in Zion's case, he has the player vote and the media vote to really be thankful for because if it was based on how it used to be in the old days where it was strictly fan voting, then Anthony Davis would have gotten a nine. But I was looking up while you were making your points, Josh, on games played. Zion does actually have Anthony Davis beat in the games played category. Mm. Zion has played 29 games thus far this season. He's currently out with a hamstring injury and it's set to be reevaluated in the next couple of weeks. While Anthony Davis, who is currently sitting out and is listed as day-to-day with a foot injury, sitting out as we record this show against the Brooklyn Nets. The Lakers are currently in action against Brooklyn as we record. He's out day-to-day with a foot injury. He's played 27 games thus far this season. So Zion has him beat by two games. And one thing I will say to add to Zion's case as to why he should be the third player in the West front court is due to the fact that look at how the Pelicans have actually slid in the standings without him. New Orleans, as of this recording, is 1-9 in their last 10 games. They're currently on an eight-game losing skid. And they sit eighth overall in the Western Conference playoff picture. So if the season were to end as of the date in which we're recording this, they would be going up against Dallas in the playing round. Mm. That right there is enough for me to recognize Zion as an all-star starter. That's enough because when Zion got hurt or was listed as out and he was going to be out for the foreseeable future, New Orleans was a top five team, as you alluded to, in the Western Conference. And at one point, they were... In the top two. Yep. So when you when you put all of that into consideration, it really goes to show you just how valuable Zion Williamson truly is and how he is, with all due respect to Brandon Ingram and C.J. McCollum, their biggest difference maker Yeah. on the floor. And he was arguably a top five guy in the MVP race prior to going down. We we had conversations about a month ago at the top of December, like, hey, can this Pelican squad really go 
on a deep run in the West. And it was because of Zion Williamson. I think a lot of people, because of recency bias, uh, oftentimes they forget about that. Mm-hmm. They, they truly forget about that. And they don't recognize that. And as far as Embiid, like I said early on the, in the show, if you still voted where you had a point guard, a shooting guard, a small forward, and a power forward in the center, like we used to vote coming up as kids, then yeah, Embiid would have made the All-Star game. He'd have been a shoe in the center if you was strictly voting for centers like they used to do it. And Shaq talked about how he had a gripe with it and how we should go back to the old way. And I get it because he's a big man himself. Mm-hmm. Of course, he wants to see big men get fully acknowledged. But at the same time, the game has changed. Yeah. The game has changed. Like when I look at Giannis Antetokounmpo, I don't see a, a, a player who has a position. Right. I see a Swiss Army knight, or what they call a utility man in baseball, except he's a high-value utility man. He can do it all. Some days he's going to be leading the, 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 the point guard position and, and leading the fast break. Sometimes he's going to be running down the lane. Jamming it, you know, so he's a guy that you really can't put into a box if you try by position. Because you have some people say, well, how you going to have him as a power forward? I think Zion's one of those guys. But I'm glad to see those guys getting the recognition. And like I said, it's unfortunate AD couldn't get there because he did have some damn good games yeah. prior to him going down. I remember he put up a a, a 50 ball on Washington mm-hmm. that had a lot of people buzzing prior to Christmas. But I want to move on to – talk about some news that came about surrounding the all-star game is the nba and the nba players association announced that tnt will air the 2023 all-star draft live before the game itself as part of their pregame segment is lebron and Giannis, who were selected as the team captains will select their teams an hour before game time What's your thoughts on this, Josh? I hope everybody got their uh I got they hope I hope let's put it this way. I hope they got thick skin. Because <laughs> I hope they got thick skin, man. When you're taking this back to the playoff to the playground days at recess. I mean you get the <laughs> when you get to pick That's your true. teams and uh you know I pick him, I pick him, and don't be and don't be you don't and it sucks because at that time you didn't want to be the last person picked. He never wanted to be the last person picked. Yeah. <laughs> Unfortunately, somebody's going to be the last person picked, and this time you can't do it privately. You're in the public eye now. You have thousands of people watching. So that's going to be very interesting, especially depending on who that person is. Um, now, obviously, we don't know the reserves as of yet. They're coming out. Those uh, those, you know, those nominees are coming out soon. But This when week, they do, by the way. Later on this week. Yeah, you're right. Later on this week. So well, I'll be interested to see who those people are, especially since they already jagged the lineups anyways. But <laughs> neither here nor there. At the end of the day, the concept, I like it. I'm cool with it because you were already going to do it somewhat publicly anyways because they would have just done it during TNT on the show and it would have been LeBron James and Giannis in their respective rooms playing GM. Like, they would have done it anyways. The only difference is it's for the fans to watch. You get to see the other players' reactions. That storyline is heaven for us because lo and behold, someone picks the wrong guy or the guy goes last 
and you're like, uh, you know, you're seeing their facial reactions and everything. That's a story. You know, we want that. <laughs> so, um, so I like it. I like the idea. I, it'll be interesting to see who got thick skin though. Cause you know, some players are going to feel some type of way if they aren't selected where they want to be selected. So I want to see how that plays out. I like it. I like it a lot. And like you said, Josh, it, it does take you back to the playground. But if I'm the last pick and I'm named as an all-star, I don't have no shame in it personally <laughs> because that means you one of the top 24 players in the world. So what if you the last pick? But I get it from a prize standpoint. I'm pretty sure it's going to be some guys that's like, hey, yeah, you know, you got to take me or whatever. But the, the reason why I like it is because you're doing it in live time, whereas previously you were doing it pre-recorded mm-hmm. in the middle of the day before games were played. And you also didn't have the team captains in the same room while doing it. Like previously you would have LeBron somewhere in the NBA arena, if not Los Angeles or Giannis or Kevin Durant, when he was doing it somewhere in Milwaukee or Brooklyn or another NBA arena set up to where they could virtually talk with one another. Mm -hmm. Ah. You got these guys in the same room at the same time able to make picks. And I I hope from an entertainment standpoint that they kind of like set it up in a similar fashion to how it was at the playground where guys would just sit around and the two guys would be in the middle of the court. They'd be like, hey, I want this guy. I want that guy. Mm -hmm. I'm going to point him out. I mean, just, just for animated, you know, fandom and whatnot i think that would be real cool but i I actually like the idea and it leaves you with sort of a mystery going into the fairs on sunday night following all-star saturday and friday night with the rising star game Mm -hmm. in the sense that you don't know who's gonna play for who the last several all-star games since they've switched to where team captains are allowed to draft their team you knew who was playing on Team LeBron. You knew who was playing yeah. on Team Giannis. Now, hey, Sunday night, we got a reason to watch an hour before game time now. We don't have to be like, oh, well, you know, yeah, Devin Booker playing on Team LeBron today. Uh, 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 Chris Paul playing on Team LeBron. Um, Joel playing on Team Giannis or whatever. Like now, you, you got a little bit of intrigue. So I, I like that. And like you said, it takes it back to the way we used to do it coming up as kids. And it don't get no better than that. Sometimes you got to find a way to make things more creative for viewers at home. And I think this is one of them. So kudos to the league for for doing that. How much you want to bet let GM is going to try to, is going to make a pick and try to trade again? Oh, I'm pretty sure he is. (laughs) Knowing him. Yeah, knowing him, he'll definitely try and, and, and craft one up. But I, I trust LeBron, and the funny thing about it is you often forget this until it comes to this point in the year for, where All-Star is only a couple weeks away. But since they've named these team captains, LeBron's been a captain every year, mm-hmm. and he's undefeated. Right. <laughs> he, he hasn't lost. That's crazy. That's yeah. crazy to think about, but it's special. It's, it's a very special thing to witness. It's only another feather in the cap to LeBron and, and, and the GOAT debate. But, you know. And the way it is. 
And then, <laughs> yeah, but it's 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 special to see. I'm I'm inspired. I'm excited to see this too, man. And I'm and I'm interested to see how players take it, especially if it is a situation like you get selected last or you go to a team that they didn't expect to go play for play with, or LeBron James picks you and then trades you. Like I'm I'm interested with how that stuff goes because we all know some players can play and be and have fun with it. But then there's guys that are like they'll they'll play it off, but in the back of their mind, oh no, I got I'm, I'm you on my list. And that's just and that's just how they are. That's just how that's just their makeup a dynamic, and don't take it out in the game. So I'm interested to see if any of that does take place. Oh, for sure. And and just to add to your point before we move into our next topic of conversation, could you imagine if they'd have had this a couple years ago, back when Utah had the best record in the West? And Rudy Gobert got selected last, just like everybody knew that he would. Everybody oh, knew man. it. Oh man, like I, I would have killed to see the reaction in live time on Rudy Gobert's face. See, that's the stuff that you didn't get with with the way they previously did it. Now right. everybody gonna be in the build, so no one is safe. No one is <laughs> no one is safe. You're gonna be on camera. And folks are going to see how you react to it, just like Josh was, was saying earlier. But I want to push the topic away from the all-star starters as we'll definitely be sharing our thoughts as to who gets selected or snubbed among the crop of talent eligible to be selected as reserves in next week's edition of Open Run to discuss a couple of topics across the NBA as part of our Around the League segment. And I want to start out with one of them involving Warriors GM and president of basketball operations, Bob Myers. According to Anthony Slater, Marcus Thompson II, and Sam Amick of The Athletic, people around the two-time NBA executive of the year believe that Myers could be a free agent come the end of this upcoming summer as teams such as the Wizards, Knicks, Suns, and Clippers are all reportedly monitoring the 47-year-old who's helped serve as the architect behind four championships in an eight-year span to date out in the Bay. When I first saw this news, I can't really say that I was surprised because if you know anything about Bob Myers and his track record, prior to his days serving as a GM, and working in Golden State's front office, he was an agent. So he's been around in various facets of the game. And when you really think about his bio and his resume, as I said, he's won four championships. He's done Mm -hmm. everything that you can pretty much seek to do in the sport as an executive. And at a certain point, You have to ask yourself in this business of basketball, when you're in this business, if you know someone in this business that has one of these positions, and I've been fortunate to meet a few of these people and even be around some of these people, what you realize is that they're always looking for new challenges. They're always looking to try and figure out what it is that motivates them the most in order to continue pushing forward. And when you consider how much goes into the day-to-day grinding and the rigors of being a GM, 
It's not easy. And I can only imagine that he will have a long list of suitors. I'm surprised in some ways that the Lakers name isn't being mentioned because while Rob Palenka is the general manager and a former agent himself, you mean to tell me he can't get like a elevated title in, in, in that regime, in that regime? I mean, if you really want to think about it, though, Josh, ever since the Lakers lost Jerry West to the Memphis Grizzlies, and it's hard to believe that's almost been 20 years ago, they kind of lost their cachet a little bit, even though Mitch Kupchak was great in his own right as an executive there. People forget he came up under Jerry, man. Yep. So when, when I look at the situation with Bob Myers, I don't know if there's any truth to it or not, but he just recently inked the deal with Peyton Manning and Omaha Productions on a podcast where he's interviewing countless people across the world of sports, tech, and entertainment. Like, the man got options. He doesn't necessarily have to be the GM and the president of basketball operations for the Golden State Warriors. He doesn't have to do it. He's mm-hmm. well-connected. He's well-respected. And, oh, did I add that the man is a UCLA graduate? And if you know anything about basketball, and i never forget a dude said this to me when I was working up at Ball Up about several years ago. If you really pay attention to basketball, you will always notice that someone that has either went to UCLA, Kentucky, Kansas, in North Carolina, and Duke always mm-hmm. keeps a check. Yep. They always keep a check, and they always keep some level of employment in the league if they aspire to do it. But I want to ask you, though, Josh, on this topic, what do you think this means for Golden State's future down the road? Should this indeed be true? Although we come to the end of the road. Like, you might as well play it. <laughs> Boys to men, end of the road. The time is here. This is y'all last dance. Okay. This is, because you know what this is giving me? It's giving me the vibes of Phil Jackson when he dealt with Jerry Cross. Even though Jerry Cross made it known to the public, Phil's not coming back. And even though he knew he could have one more chance after that championship season, it's like he knew, nah, it's time to move forward because the next chapter for the Bulls was already being written without him in it. And he did not want to interfere with that. Ladies and gentlemen, the Golden State Warriors are already writing the new chapter. They're writing the new chapter with Andrew Wiggins. They're writing the new chapter with Jordan Poole. They already already signed on the dotted line who they're core franchise players are going to be once Steph, Clay, and most likely Draymond Green, who most likely will be out this year. After this year, he will be gone next season. The writing's already been on the wall. And with Bob Myers understanding that, the reason why he probably hasn't signed any type of extension, which I'm probably sure was offered to him, was because he knew, okay, if like the core, if half of that core is going to be gone, or it's not going to be the same within these next four years 
that I could be signing this deal. What's the point of me staying? Do I want to continue my legacy, derailing myself from the win column potentially with Golden State after this season? Or could I go somewhere else, have an opportunity to rebuild a franchise and bring that to start and cement a legacy there? Or could I go into broadcasting? Could I go into podcasting? Because it is true. His, and guess who was one of his first people he interviewed? Steph Curry. Steph Curry. So there is, a like you said, his, this man has a plethora of options and a future ahead of him. But Phil Jackson knew that too when he left. Because after he signed, once he, once he left uh, Chicago, two years later, where does he go? He went to 3P with the Lakers. So he knew opportunities were going to come. Bob Myers knows other opportunities are going to be available. But I think he just, just took on that role where, you know what? He's realizing the end of the road is coming because he knows he can't bring back Draymond Green. Green. That luxury tax is going to be ridiculous if they do. So he knows he can't bring back Draymond Green. Green. He knows that at the end of the day, unfortunately, Clay Thompson not the Clay Thompson of old. And he also knows that at the end of the day, even though Steph Curry can play for another five years, that's eventually going to wind down too. And I don't know if he wants to go through another project, especially with Steve Kerr too as the head coach. Because you got to think about this too. Steve Kerr may not want to be around if, if after the after the core breaks up to the point where you really can't compete with those guys anymore. I won't be surprised if he leaves then. So I think a lot of people know, Draymond Green talked about the writing was on the wall for him being in Golden State, but Bob Myers knows this too for himself. Not because he can't succeed, but because he knows when the window of opportunity for this franchise is closing. And at this rate, knowing that the luxury tax is super high, knowing you can't get, it's hard, gonna get, it's hard to get top tier talent to come to Golden State from an all-star or superstar perspective without giving up any of your core players. Knowing that you have made finals after finals, championship one championship after championship, the dynasty run is pretty much over this year. And because they know that, Bob Mars letting people know out the gate, I may not be for sale, but I am available. And, uh, you know, he can't be bought per se, but he's letting people know you can try because he's going to be available. And I think that's really what all this is. He's beating, he's beating the traffic to the destination of really of where this current Warriors, Warriors franchise is going. And right now it's not to another NBA Finals. It's to Mexico City. So because of that, he's like, I'm not going to join them in Mexico City if I don't have to. I'm keeping my options open. And in a lot of ways, he's doing what Phil Jackson did. And I won't be surprised if he goes to another franchise, um, especially to take on another challenge like that. It'll be very intriguing if he does go to a team like the Suns or goes to a team uh, that's really doing bad but trying to go more, especially like the Wizards who've been trying to get uh, the – the executive president from the, the rafters. I would not be surprised. Sai Ujiri. Yeah, Sai Ujiri. So I wouldn't be surprised if that's a, that's an option. And you mentioned the Lakers. I'll be honest with you. Him going to the Lakers will be ideal. I'm not, I'm not dismissing that. If the Lakers were smart, they would do that. However, is 
This ain't the last regime. The Lakers are dumb. I'm sorry. They just dumb. Rob Polico don't know what he's doing. He doesn't have the ear of Magic Johnson in his office anymore. Who was the main reason why you even got a LeBron James? I mean, if Rob Polinka can put away, knowing that he's an agent up to, you know, has been to the front office, if he could put away a pride to him that quite has been very publicly known that he has this, and it's one of the main reasons why the Lakers aren't succeeding. If he was able to put away that pride and say, you know what? Come on over, Bob Myers. I'll work with you. I'm not saying it will happen, but that would be an ideal situation for them. Outside of that, though, nah. Bob Myers is saying, I'm going to let the field be open. And y'all got to come to me and tell me what you want out of me. And I'll let you know if I really want to go through this again. Because, like you said, the man got four rings. The man literally built this franchise from the ground up. That He, he is the modern day, in a lot of ways, the modern day Jerry West. So because of that, I don't know if he's the modern day Jerry West, but he's close to it. He's very close to it because he's pulled off of a lot of moves. And I'm not shocked that he's actually linked to the Clippers. And I'll tell you why. Who helped him close out the deal to get Kevin Durant and Golden State? It was Jerry West. Mm -hmm. Jerry West was an advisor in Golden State prior to getting snatched up by the Clippers. Jerry West also won a ring with Bob Myers in Golden State. I believe he won a couple, if I'm not mistaken, yeah. to add to his war chest. So when you say he's the, the like the, the, the modern-day Jerry West, I mean, that's fair in some ways because, hell, he worked with him. Mm-hmm. He, learned, he learned from him. But Rob Palenka, in my opinion, if Bob Myers wanted to go to the Lakers, or Jeannie Buss and the Buss family wanted to welcome Bob Myers to the Lakers. Rob Palenka, as much as I respect him and his work as an agent, used to represent James Harden, Andre Drummond, among many players. Chicago, Illinois, native, born, went to high school in Lake Forest. Yeah. As much as I, I, I respect Rob Palenka, he ain't got no say in this. <laughs> because... If, like I said, the Buzz family wants Rob Myers, or Bob Myers, excuse me, they'll make that happen. Yeah. They'll make that happen. I just don't know if they would. Although, I say this if there's anybody who can afford to play the waiting game, it's him. Mm-hmm. He, he has things lined up. And if he won't, he can play this out in a fashion similar to how we saw Theo Epstein. In baseball, do it when he left the Red Sox, took a year off, I believe, or so, and then went to the Cubs. And the rest is history. Now he, he's working with Major League Baseball. If 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 Bob Myers want a job with the NBA, he could take that too. Probably, I'm I'm sure he's gonna have plenty of offers on the table. He had plenty of offers on the table, but I could see why someone would think that this marks the end for Golden State, and I could see why, with his contract set to expire in July, why he would want to consider other options and go in a different direction instead, because 
as you said, this core isn't getting any younger. And even though they do have some pieces towards the future, when you build what they've been able to build there and you do what they've been able to do, and I don't think we've really seen a a dynasty that rivals them since the Bulls in the 90s. Because they they have so much in common with that with those teams, and I think Steve is a big part of that as well as Steph. But yeah, man, it it, it should be interesting what what happens down the road, and when you consider his situation, man, if I was a player in that locker room or a vet in that locker room like Andre Iguodala, another Illinois native, I'd be like, man, we we, we got a lot at stake left to to play for this season and we got to make every game count and every moment count because before you know it, it could be like that gone in the blink of an eye. But I want to move away from the latest rumors surrounding Bob Myers and Golden State to discuss another topic in our around the league segment involving recent remarks from NBA on TNT analyst and Hall of Fame legend and power forward Charles Barkley, who shared his thoughts on low management on Sirius XM's NBA radio, where he basically defended the owners in the next CBA collective bargaining agreement for those who don't know, saying that owners will look to get back at players by hitting the NBA's top stars deep in their pockets for their failure to play in a given number of games in a convo with former six-man of the year recipient and current Suns TV analyst Eddie Johnson and NBA Today host Justin Termine. What's your thoughts on Barkley's remarks? I mean, he basically said that guys shouldn't be getting no guaranteed money for missing these games and that owners will eventually have the last laugh but, but what, what's your thoughts, man? Chuck is crazy about a lot of things, but he ain't crazy about this one. Um, I think he's, he's, he's sitting it right on the head. Because one of the things he did say that is very true, when you talk about comparing millionaires to billionaires, the billionaires will always win. So you're dealing with, talking about billionaire owners who are paying these athletes millions of dollars to to produce a product and winning every single night and you're not doing it because of quote unquote load management that's that's the problem and the only reason why load management has been successful in a lot of ways is because of Kawhi Leonard Kawhi Leonard is the one guy you that always had that narrative he may not make it through a regular season but put him in the playoffs you're ready to go and you can win a title he won and he did that with the Toronto Raptors so I think he's one of the main reasons as to why we have so much load management. And I know they say it's because of trying to prevent injuries, give players enough time for their bodies to recoup and everything. But I'll say this is what I learned when I was playing in my playing days on the collegiate level, when you're dealing with trainers consistently, things of that sort. Yes, it's nice to manage your players and the wear and tear that they put on your body at times. But I was, the way my team was coached and the way my, and my coaches acted, you do that during practice. You don't do that for games. 
you you make sure that players get all the rest that they can. If they don't have to go through every drill in practice, they don't have to go through every drill in practice. If they just need to, be, if they need to be in certain things, they will be. If not, guess what? They can get treatment. But when it's game time, it's game time. You better be ready to roll. If you have no major injury that's holding you back, you playing. And that's part of that aggressive mentality every night of wanting to play uh, the, the love of the game of the sport. Like you got to be able to do that if you really love the sport that bad. Because the season's going to be a grind. Everybody's going to be sore. Everybody's going to be hurt. That's normal. That's common. But you got to continue to take care of yourself off the court, number one. And then number two, put yourself best self in the best position to play every single night, especially when you're on the road because you are – because when you don't play on the road, you're eliminating chances of fans who may have that one opportunity to see you play. They won't get that chance because you don't feel like playing. That's a problem. I get what you're saying. That, you know, that's a problem. And if if owners are paying that much money for those things to happen, yeah, I see why there's, there's going to be a problem with that. And I'll take it further. He's talking about just from a load management perspective. Owners are, gonna, owners are getting pissed off because of players signing their mass contracts, and then a year later, they want, they're asking for trades. They're trying to get out of their franchises. They're forcing trades. When, it, when they're saying, we signed you long-term, so we expect you to be here long-term. But now you want to fight now, but now players have so many so much power, which is a great thing to have. They're using it to get out of situations that they've locked into long term. That's I think that's the biggest thing that's going to come from the from a change perspective. If it's not load management, it's the fact that players have so many right have so much empowerment to just tell owners, I want out. And they have to, in a lot of in a lot of ways, they give the players the request to want out. Um I think that hits 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 uh, the NBA and the owners more than load management. But I've never been a fan of load management. Never really have. And you know, as as I'm going on this little tangent, there's also another component that's being dismissed too. If you don't work out your your body enough, you can also add injury to that too. So if you're not so, and that's why a lot of the issues in the league are not like necessarily breaking bones per se, it's soft tissue injuries. It's muscle injuries. Those are injuries that you can eliminate by consistently playing, not necessarily load managing. So it's a lot of components to this that, you know, that have to be dissected before you say, uh, have, before you have the argument per se of, you know, owners against athletes when it comes to collective bargaining agreement. But those are the main, those are the top, you know, points that's going to have to be addressed, especially when you talk about players, superstar max players that are signing these long-term contracts to guarantee their money. But then after that one year or two, it's like, no, 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 I want out. And that's something that owners are not always going to be supportive of. You already saw what that looks like with Kevin Durant this past offseason, how he told them, I want out. You just signed a four-year max deal extension on top of that so i think that's gonna it's gonna hit the fan in a lot of ways from players and owners this upcoming cba agreement uh that has to take place in those in those discussions but i think it's not gonna be because of load management per se i think it's gonna be because of players trying to utilize their platforms and roles and opportunities which is bigger than ever been done in the history of the league to be 
to you and use those powers to pretty much get what they want, knowing that at the end of the day, there is a boss up there that's signing your check that they have, and that they play for. Those are good points that you make. My thoughts on it is basically that's typical Charles Barkley. I expect him mm-hmm. to make comments in favor of the owners. But as a guy that was a former player in the league, I don't understand how he can't look at certain things from a player's perspective. I understand that the last time Charles Barkley played in the league, it was 23 years ago. The league was in a different place and in a different space. Right. Same can be said about the game itself as well as the culture. Sometimes as we get older, we have to understand that and recognize that certain things don't always remain the same. Technology was not the same in the year 2000 as it is now. Mm -hmm. Medicine in 2000 was not the same as it is now. Things change. You talk about how owners want to hit players in their pockets in the next CBA agreement and not guarantee player salary or that a player has to play a minimum number of games in order to have his salary guaranteed. Well, I tell you what, ask yourself this, Charles, who actually started low management? You brought up Kawhi Leonard, who among the players, I would say has become the poster boy of low management. But Mm -hmm. you really want to know who the real poster boy of low management is? It's the guy who coached him. Right. During his first stop in the league. And that was where? San Antonio. By who? The longest tenured head coach currently in the NBA. Greg Popovich. Yep. He's the guy that's responsible for this. So when you say that is solely on the players, that ain't true. Greg Popovich is a head coach still today in the league. What was Greg Popovich at before he became a head coach? In the front office. It started with him and it's worked his way into front offices and into ownership groups. And ownership groups are looking at these players as investments no differently than they look at their other investments in the business world. There are some that they protect and there are others that they put up for sale. And the star players get protected. And the culture around the game has changed. You say take it out on the players, but it's bigger than the players because it went from head coaches saying, Hey, this guy needs to sit to the front office going to players sometimes who don't want to sit telling them, hey, you just had surgery on your knee. We're in the second game of a back-to-back. We need you to rest and sit out tonight. That player does not always want to sit out. And that's that's why I always have an issue when fans want to sit up and say, well, guys are being baby. Guys are being coddled. In some ways, that's true. But that's not always the player. 
And that's not always the player and his team and his representatives or people that's in his corner telling the team to rest that player. We had a conversation amongst ourselves, Josh, did we not? The last time we met up face-to-face at the United Center when the Bulls were playing the Cleveland Cavaliers on the second night of a back-to-back on New Year's Eve. Yep. About Zach Levine. And his status was up in the air going into that game as to whether or not he would play. And he ended up playing. And we said, and, and, matter of fact, you said to me, he was like, well, Zach wants to play. Right. Being in that locker room, he's like, Zach wants to play, but it's the front office. And, you know, that's, that's how I understand because I know how they roll. I get it. And these teams want to protect their investment. And I understand the fans' frustration, especially the fan who bought their tickets several months in advance. And it's Kawhi Leonard set to play in Milwaukee. And the Clippers only go to Milwaukee once a year. You saved up your hard-earned money, and you don't get a chance to see Kawhi play. But I got some news for you. That's the risk you take when you buy your tickets seven months in advance. For all you know, he could get hurt first game of the season, and it'd be a season in the injury. What you going to do? Sometimes guys ain't faking injuries. Sometimes guys ain't trying to rest because of low management. Sometimes guys do be resting because they hurt. And you have to acknowledge that. And, and you write about some of the things when it comes to soft tissue injuries and, and guys not getting enough rest. But then you got to think about this too. These guys have been playing basketball, most of them, for since they were like 10 years old. Yeah. AAU games. You playing three games in a day. You ain't really taking the time to rest and recover your body. You really don't even know what it takes to truly rest and recover until you get to the league. And you have a vet coming to you and saying, hey, young fella, you need to get in this um this hot tub for X amount of minutes or this cold tub. Mm-hmm. That's going to get you right. Ain't nobody doing that AAU basketball. You thinking that you could play forever. You not realizing that while you playing these games, you put more wear and tear on your body anyway. Now, I do understand that fans want to see these guys play the full 82. I understand the argument to a certain degree for shortening the season. But to sit up here and say that the owners are going to look to getting these players' pockets, well, if I'm a player at the negotiation table on behalf of the Players' Association in the room, and I'm a union rep, I'm like, how you going to hit me in my pocket when you foster this culture? You foster it. You foster it. And you're responsible and in charge of it. And like I said, for every player that's taking advantage of the rules, there are players who actually want to play but are being forced to sit. Yeah. And fans need to understand that. Talk about the players that you really want to talk about. Don't sneak diss them because we know who you're talking about when you talk about low management. You're really talking about Kawhi Leonard and you're talking about Anthony Davis. Those are the two players that you're talking about. Outside of them, everybody really loves to play. And I'm not trying to question Kawhi's love for the sport. I know he loves to play basketball. I also know Anthony Davis loves to play basketball. But I also know that Kawhi Leonard 
has like a degenerative knee condition, if I'm not mistaken. I also know that Anthony Davis has had a bunch of injuries in his career. Injuries that have robbed him, in my opinion, of some of the prime years of his career or from fans being able to witness even greater feats accomplished by him. Mm-hmm. No, those are very good. No, those are all very good points, man. And you've always been spot on with this. It's just, it's just interesting how, like you said, the biggest thing that comes with this discussion is the older you get, you're not being able to adapt to the realities of what the league is. The league has changed. And Charles Barkley, even from his being an analyst on TNT and, and that show, he's always been very critical of players in that type of realm. So that's not, you know, changing anything. That's not going to, sure. you know, it's, you know that's, that's always been who he is. And he says some, you know, and we've talked about it, do crazy half the time. He says some crazy outlandish things, man. I, 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 but this is one of those discussions where, to me, there really there's so many angles to this thing that there could be a lot of rights, but you can't just sit here and dismiss and act one have one thing that's right and dismiss everything that's wrong. There's too many layers to this discussion that take place is. with some truths that are aligning with all of this, and that's what we just expressed because. As Charles Bar because Charles Barkley from that perspective did sound naive. We talk about the player side of things versus the ownership and front office side of things, which is something he's never really tapped into. Um, it's 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 a whole different era when it comes to those things. And even my even even Michael Jordan talked about it in the last dance. He got injured, front office didn't want to play him. He said, I'll I'll take as many painkillers if i got to even get if it kills the headache like i remember that quote yeah yeah it's like it's like that you know like you said players do want to play zach levine has been very vocal about how he wants to play every game and front office like nah let's make sure you're okay because you're our five-year 250 million dollar franchise player exactly you know when he understands that but he's also like look here i like the ball too though i want to play i want to win there's sacrifices you're gonna to have to take. There's risks that you're gonna to have to take, and and unfortunately, that's where the disconnect is gonna be from owners to players. Because owners gonna view it as I'm taking risk on a player that's representing me. When players are saying we're playing, we're risking our actual lives to play this game and promote a product that puts money in your pocket that eventually, hopefully, trickles down correctly to all the players across the franchise, across that team. Right. And that is a whole nother discussion when you talk about, you know, the impact of slavery, the economic system, all of that, that plays into the NBA as a whole. So when when these discussions take place, I, I can see Charles Barkley saying that and actually being true, that that's the owner's take and that's how it's gonna be. Because a lot of things have taken place to where players offside, off the court, players have done things to, you know, kind of hurt the owners a little bit and their pockets. However, there is a player side of things that he cannot neglect. And that player side, like you said, and, and the way you beautifully expressed it, that plays an intricate role into why the owners even have what they have and why the league has what they have. So, 
they got to work. They got to work that thing out and come together when that time does come. And I won't be surprised if there's a lockout. I'm going to be surprised if there's a super long delay on things because of those discussions. It was like that back in 20. What was it? What was the shortened year? 2011, 2011, 12. I never forget it. It was my freshman year of college because I, I, I never forget that whole fall. I had number time. And that year, that, that was a wild time. And, and that was a year that opened my eyes to the business of basketball, which you really saw come about from that was the evolution of the mixtape. Yeah. From the internet side of things. It brought light to the pro-am. That, that really changed the culture to me of basketball as we currently know it today. But I, I want to say something before we move on to the next topic in regards mm-hmm. to this and add to your points further on it, Josh. Man, these players can't please everybody, yo. They can't please everybody. And it's going to be some nights, I understand that you spend your hard-earned money as a consumer to watch these athletes play. But you are not entitled, my brother. You are not entitled, my sister. You, you, you are not entitled to see these guys play. And sometimes we have a false sense of entitlement. It's fans and admirers of this game that we own these athletes when we don't. We don't. We don't. And they can't please everybody. I've been around countless athletes in my life. Mm-hmm. And when I was a child, seeing my mother work in Major League Baseball, going to forums, going to events, seeing athletes sign, for every baseball that they signed, it was always going to be a fan that it was like, once you got to the cutoff mark, man, you're not going to sign my stuff? You're not going to do this for me? It's like, they're damned if they do, they damned if they don't. Right. And you don't own these guys. I'm sorry, but it's the truth. And they can't please everybody. That's just the business. It sucks, but that's the business of the game. And that's why I always tell people you have to appreciate the greatness that you do see exhibited in these games that you love. Not just the game of basketball, but just sports in general. Right. But I want to wrap up our discussion on two hot topics around the league to discuss a couple of injuries that have impacted teams sitting atop of their respective standings in the East and West. Milwaukee Bucks forward Bobby Portis suffered an MCL sprain in his right knee and is expected to miss some time per Sham Sharania of the Athletic as reports just shortly following this news from ESPN's Adrian Wojnarowski last week said that Portis is expected to miss two weeks of action while the Memphis Grizzlies announced that their starting center Stephen Adams is expected to miss three to five weeks of game time after suffering a PCL sprain in his right knee as the NBA's leading offensive rebounder with 5.1 boards per game suffered the injury while diving for a loose ball late against the Suns down in the desert a couple of weeks ago. Portis has been a huge spark plug off the bench for Milwaukee at the four and five spots as he's currently among one of the game's top candidates for six man, averaging 14 and 10 per game on nearly 50% shooting from the floor for the Bucks, who sit third in the East as of this recording 
Adams leads the Grizzlies in rebounding, hauling down nearly 12 boards and outing, as well as the NBA in screen assists with nearly six a night with only Domas Sabonis and Rudy Gobert beside him. Memphis currently sits second in the West playoff picture as we speak. When I look at these two teams and I look at the team that will be impacted the most by the following injuries between Milwaukee or Memphis, I, I really think it's Milwaukee. Bobby Portis, it ain't every day you find guys who can come off the bench and put up double-doubles for you, left and right. And as I said, he's been putting up 14 and 10, 10 boards a night. He, he, he was vital to the Bucs, especially during the stretch in which Chris Middleton was out of commission and Drew Holiday was out of action some nights. And you losing a guy that is not only a floor spacer, but know how to bang a little bit on that block and is a hard-nosed defender and, 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 and some toughness as well. No disrespect to Steven Adams, who provides that in his own right down in Memphis, as we know. But I, I think they'll be impacted the most. I think that both of these teams, though, need to make a move prior to the conclusion of the NBA trade deadline I ask you for your thoughts on it, Josh. What pieces do you believe that both teams need the most in order to get a top of their respective conferences? Uh, big man depth. I think big man depth, you just mentioned it. Like, it's hard to find a spark plug like Bobby Portis in the league, and he what it brings so much to the table for the Milwaukee Bucks is one of the main reasons why, especially in that low, uh, big man department, the bench department, why the Bucks stay afloat. So, uh, yeah, he's a huge loss, but I, but I kind of think Memphis is a bigger loss because of the fact of what you just said in regards to the what Stephen Adam does from a big man's perspective, not just rebounding the ball, but setting good screens, getting guys yeah. open. That's huge for John Morant when you're talking about coming off a ball screen and letting him do what he do. That's With that being gone, and you really don't have that coming off your bench, nor do you have additional, like, firepower that can help aid some of that presence i think that's going to hurt memphis more because at least with milwaukee even though bobby portis is out you still got guys like chris middleton who can still play the four if necessary you still got you can still have, have versatile lineups to where some of that stuff can be filled in if you have if they have to make the right moves to do it and you still got brooke lopez on as from a big man perspective too and so I think Milwaukee has enough to maintain. Yes, they need to make moves. I agree with that. But I think they have enough to maintain the flow right now until Bobby Portis comes back. Whereas Memphis, if they don't make a move, they might slip a little bit because what Stephen Adam brings to the table is such more, so much more impactful and valuable than most likely would like to, most people, most likely people want to give a player like Steven Adams. When you talk about what they need, yeah, Memphis got to get another big man because if Steven Adams is going to be out and gets injured again, I'm sorry, but I forgot the name of the big man. That's a, that's the backup now. I think his last name is Clark. Brandon Clark. And then they have Brandon Clark, who's been providing them with some solid minutes. And then they have Santi Aldama as well, but they don't provide the size and the girth exactly. that Steven Adams does, man. They're they not as big. Those are guys that can you know, pick and pop, pick and roll. Aldama can stretch the floor, but unlike Adams. But yeah, Adams, you, you, you're right when you talk about his value. 
setting screens because he's definitely one of the, the hardest screen setters in the league, bar none. Yeah, and I think, you know, to replace that, you're not going to find the best options for that, but there are available options that out there you could consider, especially potentially in the buyout market if you don't want to make a trade. You could, the buyout market can be huge for them as well. But we talk about uh, Milwaukee, they're already trying to make moves. You see, they're trying to get your boy Jay Crowder. And the yeah, I, yeah that, that was reported prior to this recording that they've been in, in conversations with Jay Crowder and, and that the Suns have been allowing him to take meetings with prospective teams in the effort to get a deal done prior to the trade deadline conclusion. Con- con- concluding, excuse me. Yeah, he's, if anything, from Milwaukee, and honestly, he's the missing piece because he's going to provide what P.J. Tucker did when he was there. That strong defense, versatile defense in the perimeter, as well as the paint when necessary. He can guard your best player, the opponent's best player, while also being able to shoot the three. The difference is Jay Crowder could shoot from anywhere on the court. P.J. Tucker was more of a three-point specialist from the corner. Jay Crowder actually could shoot the ball from the corner and the wing. It doesn't matter where. So being able to do that, he's a good plug-in for the currently constructed roster that it is right now. And that is something that if, you know, Milwaukee can pull off in the trade, that's going to take them further than them getting anybody just to come off the bench. Because eventually Bobby Portis is going to come back and then they're going to be, then they'll be fine in the big man department. But I think for them, they, that additional wing, that additional stopper, three and D guy, they can play along with a Chris Middleton. They can play along with the Drew Holiday, knowing and understanding how they can play along with a Giannis. That's going to be the extra beef in that stake that's going to be the difference between the two-star and a five-star. And that's what's going to help take the Bucks from automatically, even though they are title contenders already as constructive, that it drastically increases their chances. I mean, especially when you're talking about going up against the Boston Celtics, who's now, who, who needs, you know, who is versatile and physical. Something that, you know, if they had a P.J. Tucker, Milwaukee could probably better withstand. If they bring that Jay Crowder, uh, if they bring Jay Crowder in there, he will increase those chances like PJ Tucker did. That's what I think the Milwaukee Bucks need to do. And Memphis just, you know, they just need to find some additional backup somewhere. But those are that's what I think those teams need to do to to booster their chances of championship contenders, even though right now they're already listed as as they are. That's that's well said. I I think when I look at Milwaukee, they need some size and depth on the wing more than anything, man. Mm-hmm. More than anything. Jay Crowder will be a nice piece. Don't get me wrong. He could be that P.J. Tucker replacement, as you alluded to. But when I, I look at Milwaukee, and I got a lot of respect for Milwaukee, because among the teams in the East, such as Philadelphia being among the top and Brooklyn, as well in that top four. Milwaukee, the only proven team for real, mm-hmm. because they're the only team that's captured a championship within the last couple of years. So when we, we say that they're title contenders, that's the reason why they're proven. Mm-hmm. And, that, and, that, and that means something. Of course, it means a lot, actually. But I, I just... I, I think they need to make a blockbuster move. I just don't know if they can because 
with the way that they're hard cap right now from a roster standpoint, it will require them moving Chris Middleton. And I don't know if they're willing to do that, and I don't know if a team is willing to take him on with his health issues right now coming off of a wrist surgery just recently this offseason as well as dealing with some issues with his knee. Yeah. So cuz I when I when I look at Milwaukee I I can I would love to see a Pascal Siakam and Giannis front line. That's just a dream scenario. Ooh. That's just a dream scenario. I don't think that's going to happen but and, and, and Masai Ujiri don't have to trade Pascal Siakam by the way. And he really doesn't even have to trade OG Anunobi. But that's a different topic for another day. I just think that the Bucks need some wing depth immediately. And I think they might need a guard who, when teams load up on Giannis, is able to shake and bake and isolate the game. A Jordan Clarkson could help Milwaukee tremendously. Mm-hmm. He could help them big time. When I look at Memphis, yeah, they do need some depth at center. Or maybe another big with some size, even though I like Clark and Aldama. But the one glaring issue that I have with Memphis is that this team struggles enormously in the half-court game. Mm-hmm. They need a guy, when teams load up on Ja, who is confident and comfortable creating for himself, if not others, off the dribble. Desmond Bain has improved on that and worked at it mightily. I give him Nothing but kudos for it. But you can tell he's just not getting familiar with their role. They need a vet who's been there and done that. Memphis got a lot of draft picks that they can seek to give up to get a player of that magnitude. I just had a conversation with my man on Twitter, Jason Temp, who does some podcasts for the for the Volume Network associated with Colin Cowherd. Mm-hmm. And he was proposing the possibility of the Grizzlies making a play for Bojan Bogdanovich. I wouldn't mind that. Mm. Because when you think about what Detroit looking for, and that's draft capital, with maybe a young player or two, Memphis could do that. Yeah, Memphis also has developed a reputation for doing a fine job with developing young players. If that, that's a move that you may need to make. That's a move that you may need to make because when Josh seeking the, the driving kick and these defenses collapse in the paint, you know Boyan to knock down, catch a shoot option. And you also know when the play breaks down, you get it to Boyan, he'll do something for you. And when you have him besides Desmond, then that gives you three shot creators. The more shot creators you have in the playoffs, especially when the game is predicated into the half court and who executes the best, is teams already know what you're going to run by that point after seeing you so many times. That that's that's important. That's a good look, low key. That's a good look. I like that. I, I like that trade. Yeah, I, I did too. I, I I didn't think about it. He, he brought up Gary Trent Jr. as well. Like it, it's it's yeah. options out there. It, it's options out there, and I think that that's what they're going to have to get more than anything. And I I know that Stephen Adams is a is a very key component to Memphis's attack on both ends, but they they still got to get that shot creator. But we'll make our way back to the buyers and sellers segment that you all have known us for the closeout shows with next week, wrapping it up with part four. 
is we get near the eve of the NBA trade deadline set to come about on February 9th. But in the meantime, seek to wrap up this week's edition of Open Run as we always do, providing you with the top games to watch in week 16 of the NBA schedule, for which I have a pair of games personally that I think will be an interesting treat. Starting out with Thursday, February 2nd, LA Clippers going into Milwaukee to face the Bucks at 9 p.m. Central Time on TNT. Clippers have won six out of their last 10 outings as it is recording. Four out of those six have been won by double digits as of late. Majority of them have come on the road as they're currently actually in the middle of a Midwest road trip. Kawhi Leonard is averaging nearly 29 points per outing with six rebounds and four assists per game in his last 10 outings, shooting over 50% from the floor and 44% from beyond the arc after getting off to a slow start. Paul George is looking like the Paul George of old, putting up nearly 23 points a night with six assists and rebounds per game. Besides his running mate in the front court, shooting 55% from the field. This team is looking like the team that many expected them to coming into the year. And that was to be one of the top teams in the West. They elevating up in that playoff standing after winning a few games consecutively. They'll be going up against a Buck squad who, despite being without Bobby Portis, they just recently received Chris Middleton back in commission after dealing with some knee soreness in his knee, missing a month of time. Even though he's coming off the bench, Drew Holiday has held his own in the absence of Portis and Middleton into recent averaging around 24, 8, and 5 of his last 10 for Milwaukee. Mind you, Giannis just put up 50 at 13. Sure did. It's it just 30 minutes of action. Put a 50-point outing in his career in his second in the month of January, which is coming to a close as we go about recording this. Bucks have won four in a row as we speak. This is a game you might want to watch. And then last but not least, Sunday. February 5th, Denver at Minnesota. It's 6 p.m. Central Time on NBA League Pad. I know the Super Bowl is currently two weeks away from now. If you're an avid NFL fan who cares to watch the Pro Bowl well, this game will be coming on NBA League Pad well following its conclusion. You got a red-hot Timberwolves squad right now that's won seven out of their last ten games in the middle of this recording, led behind the stellar play of third-year forward Anthony Edwards, who playing like a guy that's hell-bent on getting a potential ticket to Salt Lake City for All-Star Weekend. And not to just see the festivities, but to be a part of them. We haven't talked about this guy enough. He's averaging over 30 per game on over 50% shooting from the floor in his last five games for the Timberwolves. And he's looking like every bit of the player that a lot of us expected him to be prior to the start of the season. And he's looking like the guy who I thought would be the most improved player coming into the season all the while guiding Minnesota up to the fifth overall in an ever tight Western conference that is changing by the day. If you look at the standings, D'Angelo Russell is averaging 20 and six shooting over 40% from three 49% to be exact from long range over his last 10 games. They're at home going up against a Denver squad led by Nikola Jokic that stands atop of the West. Can Minnesota prove that they for real? Can they stick 
among the top half of the West to avoid the playing round this season. That remains to be seen. But if they can take down a top-notch Nugget squad that's recently coming to its own, man, this is a team we're going to have to keep our eye on moving forward if they can do that, especially without the services of Carl Anthony Towns, who's still nursing the right calf strength. Man, those are all good games to watch. Of course, um, very astute as always, my brother. But <laughs> I got to add at least a couple more games to the list, man. Thursday, you can, how can you not watch the Gre- the Memphis Grizzlies against the Cavaliers? I almost picked that one. I'm glad you got, John you, Moran glad you got that on there. Yeah, John Moran against Darius Garland and Dylan Brooks against Donovan Mitchell. The guard play against these one another is going to be ridiculous. And not to and not to mention, it would have been that much better if Stephen Adams was playing because he would have gone against Jared Allen and Evan Mosley. That would have been very interesting to see as well. But I got to watch the guard play, that dynamic elite all-star guard play going at at each other uh, in that game. So that's definitely one I got to watch. But if we're going to continue moving forward, the next game I got to watch is, uh, well, dang, I had it listed over here. What happened to that game, man? <laughs> oh, my, my computer just messed, just messed this thing up a little bit. But I know for sure one of the games I'm going to be watching is going to be uh, most likely – Lakers and Pelicans. I got to see LeBron against uh, the Pelicans. I want to see if the Pelicans turn things around, especially against the Lakers squad, who, you know, has their moments. They have their moments of winning games, but they end up falling short as well. I want to see how that game, how that goes. And there is one more game, one more game I'm going to check out as well. That's the Sacramento Kings against the New Orleans Pelicans. I got to give love to the Sacramento Kings for what they're putting up this year currently sitting third in the Western Conference. the An all-star nod that should have been in there in De'Arian Fox has been falling <laughs> this year. Yes, he has. And, uh, you know, the Kings, like you, we said it before, the Kings are becoming must-see television again. And because they're becoming must-see television, I got to see how that how their arena is going to be rocking against the New Orleans Pelicans when, you know, the like I said, the Pelicans have always been a team that, you know, they're struggling right now. Have one, you know, they lost eight straight, but they're still an entertaining team to watch. It always will be when you have all-star play of CJ McCollum. You still got Brandon Ingram as the all-star. And you got uh and you got Alvarado doing Alvarado things <laughs> with the with the New Orleans Pelicans. So I want to see how all those games match up throughout the weekend. Those are for sure my few games. Of what to watch for, and of course, if you're an avid NBA fan, NBA fan, it don't matter what night basketball games are playing on. You got NBA League Pass, you got ESPN, you got ABC, you got TNT. <laughs> Just becoming that point now where every game is going to be played on every that some games are played on every night in the league with football season winding down. You can get the Super Bowl, you can give them get NFL meets two more weeks, but after that, you should be having a basketball game every Sunday every Saturday and every day in between because the NBA is coming and they have games for you that we clearly do not want you to miss out on. Yeah, they do. And I got to give the league they credit for what they did with Rivals Week, man. All those games, for the most part, with the exception of one, I'd say was up to par. 
and it lived up to the bill, man. The guys came out, showed out, competed. You could tell that the season is indeed beginning to heat up. And you talk about the Pelicans. Yeah, they 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 are one and nine out of the last ten, but when they're going up against a Sacramento squad that me and you have talked about extensively on this show, going back to the early days of the season, it just goes to show you how every game counts. Mm-hmm. And then, like I said, in the Western Conference playoff picture that continuously changes and fluctuates week after week. These games could be the difference between who's playing in the playing round versus who secured a top six seed in the West, guaranteeing themselves a matchup in the first round. But with that said, I want to thank everybody who took out the time to listen in to yet another installment of Open Run presented by War Media. Make sure to follow War Media across the social media channels. Make sure to also check out our beautiful shows, such as our most recent episode of the At Bet podcast, hosted by my man and our producer, Saul Rodriguez, and his good friend, Miles Porter, breaking down the Luisa Rice trade, and Scott Rowland getting inducted into Cooperstown with our man and our colleague, Chris Pennant, and so much more. But with that being said, my name is Gabriel Wilkins, alongside of my co-host, Josh Hicks, signing off. So long, everyone.